On today's Sherpa Review, we bring in three esteemed attorneys to discuss a legal review. We talk about contracts, the best way to set up a sale or acquisition contract um, to ensure you know, no problems going forward. We also uh, discuss some interesting trivia, such as first UDRPs, uh, Steve Jobs, and the creation, GoDaddy's creation of domains by proxy. But most importantly, we talk about the privacy and general data protection regulation called GDPR, which goes into effect on May 25th and effectively ends our access to the WHOIS database. Um, what this means to you and what we're going to do about it uh, as an industry is, is discussed in general, and as well as some unintended repercussions for domain theft, security, and more. All this on today's show. Enjoy. Hey, Sherpa Network. Thanks so much for joining us today. I'm Tess Diaz, executive producer of DomainSherpa.com, and this is the Domain Sherpa Legal Review. This is a show where we get into the minds of successful domain name attorneys using real examples so we can learn strategies and tactics to become smarter investors ourselves. We'll discuss or debate a focus topic. Joining us today on the Domain Sherpa Legal Review are three phenomenal Sherpas and industry thought leaders. With us as Sherpas today, we have Ari Goldberger and Jason Schaefer of Esquire.com and Stephen Lieberman of Greenberg and Lieberman. Also joining us with his domain investor Q&A is Andrew Rosner, CEO of Media Options. Sherpas, welcome to today's show. Uh, Great to be here as always. Great to have you guys all on the show today. Good to see you too, guys. Yeah, this is a great treat to have. Um, you know, we've never done a big uh, legal review, and I think this is going to be really exciting to start. I'm going to tell you about the sponsors for today's show who support us in our mission to educate people in the domain name industry. First, serious about online trading? Secure your funds, keep your merchandise safe, and use a company that keeps the buyer and seller protected the whole way through. That's escrow.com. Payments you can trust. All right. In the investor-submitted Q&A, we take user-submitted domain legal questions and provide honest and constructive feedback to the owners so they can make responsible choices with their domain portfolio. Um, today's question uh, follows. Oftentimes, when domain investors are trying to buy a domain, either from another investor or end user, a price may be agreed upon in email or over the phone, only for the owner to change to change his mind later about selling the domain at all or increasing the price. Today, we're looking for some insights from our legal Sherpas. Um, Ari, what, what remedies do domain investors have in such cases? Well, you know, first of all, it's, it's important to determine whether or not there's a contract in the first place and whether you have a remedy of going to court, which, you know, you ultimately do if there is an agreement. Um, you mentioned uh, a conversation over the telephone. So in order for there to be a contract, there must be an offer, an acceptance, and consideration, those three things. Consideration is the, the bargain for exchange, the this for that. In, in the case of a domain, it would be the domain name for a certain amount of money. That's the consideration. The offer, uh, I call up a domain, you know, a, a buyer, potential buyer calls up a seller, hey, I see you have this domain name, would you like to sell it? The seller says, sure, I'll sell it to you for $10,000. The buyer says, I'll do that. You have a deal. Okay. Essentially, that's a contract. The question is whether or not that contract is enforceable. And you have a difficult time enforcing that contract in court if the buyer or the seller backed out. And the reason is that you don't have it reduced to some form of writing. And it violates something known as the statute of frauds, at least under, under U.S. Uh, commercial law. Um, contracts for the sale of goods over $500 must be in writing. Now, a domain name is not necessarily a good depending on where you are, but the, but the bottom line is you're not going to win if you don't have a signed contract because it's a he said, she said. He said he would sell it to me, and the, per the, other, and the person that backs out perhaps uh, is going to lie and say, no, no, I never agreed to that. You can't prove it. Imagine um, the, flood, the flood in the courtrooms if anybody could just go and say, well, he promised to sell me that or not. You need to have something in writing. 
So is an email good enough? Uh, uh, a potential buyer emails the uh, domain owner and asks the domain name for sale. Domain, domain owner says yes. The buyer asks how much. The, you know, the owner says, I'll sell it to you for $10,000. The buyer emails back, I accept. Um, I'm gonna pay you this amount of money. Um, I'm gonna pay you tomorrow. I'm going to do this, that, and the other. There can't be a lot of important details left out. If important details are left out, it's hard to argue there's a contract. Yeah, I said I'd buy it for him, but I also told him I have to see if I can get the money together, or we didn't talk about whether or not I had to pay it all up front, or whether I had to pay it off over time, etc. So, um, Really, what sometimes what happens is they, they do that, they qualify it. Oh, uh, let me I have to go back and talk to someone, the decision maker, right? That's not an agreement, right? And so, if, so yeah. if as an, as an owner, if I'm responding to an offer, it might be more helpful if I were to say, you know, um, say I, I counter offer or I name the price, and then but then I say, let's do this via escrow dot com or just via no 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 escrow, escrow domains okay and then you say does that work for you so so here, here's the deal here's here's the kind of catch-22 um because because buyers buyers and sellers often back out of deals because they especially if a deal happens really quick andrew does enough of these deals we've, all, we've always done it oh my god they accept that i know i could have gotten more money or i probably paid too much for it and then they back out and they try to renegotiate so if you have it, if you he have it, doesn't do that. yeah, he never, does. never. So nobody you, tries to renegotiate with Drew. Uh, you're, you're in lockdown. The wrath so, of hell will come down upon you. <laughs> so everybody leaves Drew happy. <laughs> so if you're the person that wants to enforce this deal, you want to have those that email exchange be as concrete as possible. And then if you say, well, let's do it by escrow.com, then, then the guy's like, well, it doesn't do Escrow it. domains, Ari. Escrow, escrow domains. Come on, get it right. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, the other thing you should remember is that a, a writing is any type of writing. You know, it doesn't have to be via email. It doesn't have to be on paper. It could be a bunch of IMs going back and forth as well, as long as you have all of the elements that Ari pointed out. You know, the offer, the acceptance, consideration, you know, uh, the the I'm, amount, etc. Um, here's what I here's what I suggest because okay. you want to have those details as a buyer. I want I want the seller to warrant and represent that there's no claims against this domain name that he that this person owns it. It's not like subject to uh, a divorce. You know, it's not owned. You know, there's a lot of things that you want to you want to know he has the right to sell it, and that so you want to issue a contract. However, if you have if you have like um, if you're worried that the party, say the buyer is gonna, the seller is gonna back out of the deal. You don't wanna send an email it's like, okay, yeah, um, okay, I accept, I accept your offer. You have, you know, you have a deal. Um, now I'm gonna send you a contract. Now the contract's gonna have different terms. So the person can say, you know what? We didn't agree to all the terms that are in there. So I yeah. think the best way of doing it is you lock, a, you lock an offer and acceptance down in the, con in, the, in the email, you have an agreement, and then you send a follow-up email saying, Attached is a written document which memorializes our, the terms of our agreement. So you already have, you know, you already have the agreement. Get them to yep. sign it. If, if if they don't sign that agreement, it, it's it's tough. To, you can go to court. You can hire a lawyer. You can spend a lot of money. You have to decide whether or not it's worth it. Because you're not gonna, as the seller, you're not gonna be able to force someone to buy a domain name. You're gonna just be able to get damages. You know, what are your damages? What is yeah. One of the other so I'm more concerned as, I mean, as a seller, this happens to us often, right? Whether we're the broker or the actual seller, it happens a lot. For whatever reason, last year was a particularly bad year where I, really a quite high percentage of deals that would get to the finish line would then fall apart because the buyer would back out. But my main concern, and, and, and I think the emphasis on the question at hand is about as a buyer, and so I'm dealing with a situation right now where um, we have, it took uh, months to track down the owner of a, a three-letter.com. We agreed uh, uh, to basically all of the terms uh, over the phone. I actually had a representative go and meet the person in person and they shook hands and made the deal. Mm -hmm. So now I've got a witness to the deal, right? 
and then maybe, and then we've got emails exchanged back and forth, which even though they don't lay out like boom, 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 here's the bullet points of the deal and I agree, I agree, it's, an, it's a reinforcement to the, 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 the agreement that's been made over the phone. Now, this, we're buying the domain name from an agency and that agency was acquired by a much larger company. And so the agency, the chief operating officer has made a deal. I mean, as far as, I've been doing this a long time. I mean, this is as, as locked in as it could be from my, from my standpoint uh, with the COO of this company. Now, he's running up the chain. We're at the, we're at the finish line. It's, you know, I'm ready to wire the money. I've agreed to just not use any escrow and just wire the money directly to them because they're a large enough company that I don't think they're going to you know, run away with my money. Now, they have run up the chain for the final seal of approval, which was never stated. They never stated that they needed further approval. There was never any discussion whatsoever about needing approval from anybody else. And my deal was made with the chief operating officer of the company. This is an officer of the company. Now, I would assume that... What you're talking acquired in the middle of your deal? No, no, no. They were acquired years ago. But the point oh. is just that there's a. What you're talking about is, a, is, is real and apparent authority. As an officer, he has real authority to you when the, you knew he, he was not. He was saying, I'm the CEO. Therefore, he has apparent authority to do it. If he mm -hmm. didn't say it needed to be approved, then it probably it really doesn't need to be approved. Mm -hmm. The hard part is going into court and is the, the cost-benefit analysis of whether it's worth filing suit at that point, which is why I would suggest that every time you go through and you're actually making going through negotiations, you say, well, if there's any issues and you put it in writing, I'd like this to go to arbitration and try and do limited arbitration. So what's interesting here is that I basically followed exactly what Ari mentioned before, which is we've come to this agreement. It's pretty holistic. We've talked about the terms timing, price, you know, basically all of the major deal points have been discussed, been agreed upon. And then I've gone and sent them a contract and saying, okay, I'd like to memorialize this deal in a, in a, in a contract. And, and I expressly said that because I'm going to be wiring you the money directly without any intermediary escrow, uh, I'd like to just memorialize this in a, in a formal document. Um, and so I, I've sent that to them. And at that point, they said, well, this contract would need to be signed by our parent company, right? So the parent company says, no deal. We don't want to sell that domain name. We think it's worth more. Now, I, I do want to note that I, this is not a lowball offer. And this is like, I'm paying double what I believe the, the wholesale price of this domain would be. But it suits a very specific purpose, which is why we're overpaying for it. Andrew, in this discussion, you're bringing up facts, the relevant facts. You're going way beyond what we were discussing. You did some, did exactly what you're supposed to do because imagine if you didn't do that and then you wired the money and then the money's gone. Of course you have to protect yourself. Well, you brought up a point that you relied on, right? You sent an agent, a representative there. So you have a cost with that. You went and visited the, 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 the company. So you're in a very different position than the typical party. You if you wanted to go through the expense and articulate this and, and, and file a complaint, you could. And you could convince a court of all these elements and establish that in fact there was a contract. Again, it gets back to what Steven said on, on whether that agent had authority to, to act, and, and, but you have to establish these elements. But so you're these are a very the, different class than a typical party. But this is what I wanna flush out through this, this discussion is some of these points. So first of all, I was dealing with an officer of the company, so I would perceive him to have full authority to make a deal with me. Um, is that is there a consequence to that in, by law? Like if, if somebody has the, the title of chief operating officer, isn't it construed that they have authority to make decisions and enter into contracts? If they present themselves as being an officer, then they have apparent authority. If they actually are an officer, then they have real authority. Um, now, the other thing about this to remember is that this is, it goes back to jurisdiction again. The rules pertaining to authority and corporate law are different from state to state. So mm -hmm. the question is, where can you actually file a suit? You can certainly file a suit where they're incorporated. 
You can certainly file suit where their base, main base of business is or where they can reasonably expect to be sued. But the question is, could you actually sue them where you are? So um, this now, your phone calls, Go ahead, phone calls were made to where Andrew is at, if uh, they understood, knew where he was at, um, I guess it's a, it's a possible argument to be made. You know, what's interesting is when you said that you were just going to wire the money directly to them, had the guy given you the wire instructions and had you wired the money, that would be evidence. You know, the writing doesn't necessarily, the writing doesn't have to have all the terms. It has to prove Good it. point, Ari. Yeah, I mean, that would be an argument. But the bottom line is, if you think that you're right and you think that the morals and the, you know, this guy really believed that he was selling and you had all of these terms, you sue them in court and see how they react. They might say, you know what? We don't want to spend the money on lawyers. This yeah. doesn't look good for us. Maybe we should just do the deal, you know? And then what's going to happen is the lawyers are going to get on the phone and they're going to try and settle it. And maybe you'll come out with a good situation. So if you really, really desperately want this domain name and it was really, really a good deal, and the facts, and I, I would need, we would need to see those emails to understand just exactly what went back and forth. You may make the art, you may make the decision that, yeah, it's worth the hassle, even though I may only have a 30% chance of winning, um, maybe we'll settle and we'll work something out because these, these guys screwed me. I was dealing with the CEO of the company. I worked months, I had all these expenses. Mm -hmm. So it's a possibility. Um, and uh, it, it all depends on how much it's worth, whether you do that case. We had a case back in, uh, God, 19, uh, I was like 2001, uh, where we bought shipping.com for a really nice price. You know, we were going, going after these guys for the longest time and they just backed out. We had a signed contract, went to court, they argued some defenses that there was another partner, that they didn't have the right authority, blah, blah, blah. We ended up settling and they gave us cocktails.com for free, which was nice, yeah. you know? Yeah. So you never know what, you never know what might, what might come out of it, but you know, you're not going to, unless you have a, a real legitimate case, no lawyer is going to take the case and file it because then you're going to you could be subject to sanctions. It'd be interesting to see where you could, where you could where you could file this action. If you could file it, so, the jurisdiction convenient to you and inconvenient to the others, you know they may be more willing. So that's a perfect segue to to my next question that I wanted to flush out is is how does jurisdiction play into this, which is you know ties in our our, our original discussion. Well, so this particular company is in Germany. We're based in Panama, uh, but the buyer on the contract, which is a, a sister company of ours, um, are you guys having a hard time hearing? Missed, missed the last two things you said, Andrew. Can you repeat the? So the, the, the seller is in Germany, and we're in Panama, and the right. buyer on the contract, which is one of our, uh, you know, a sister company, is in Gibraltar, and it's a .com domain name. And so... Um, the question is, where could I file suit and do, do I have a choice? Uh, well, you know, that takes some, uh, that takes actually a little bit of investigation. Now, obviously you can file suit in Germany. There's no question about that one. It's yep. unlikely you could file suit in Panama because what sort of contacts would they actually have to Panama? But if they're a big company, they may actually have contacts where they're doing sales. I mean, I don't know what this company does in the United States or we have a lot of business in the United States. A lot, a lot. Right. Because person, what we're talking about here is personal jurisdiction and personal jurisdiction comes down to where the company can expect to be sued. Now, one of the problems with it, with, with jurisdiction is even if you can get jurisdiction over someone say in the United States and it's a German company, you're going to have to still have to serve them. Um, and we the have treated who did the handshake can serve them. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Yeah, only if you can get them to, and someone who's reasonable to serve, like an officer of the company, to come into the into that location. I mean, I believe there's an old case. I don't remember the name where somebody served somebody while they were on a plane flying over the appropriate state. No That's way. Yeah. Okay, you absolutely. need to find that. Was it about a domain? I don't believe it was about a domain name at all. Uh, so, That's not really the point. Jurisdiction yeah, cool. is. Uh, jurisdiction and service of process are necessary in every single case because it's you know you can't go against a lawsuit unless you're at least trying to notify somebody about what's yeah. going that's wild okay so i guess the, to brew down my question is you know would that would i have a, a valid complaint to file in uh virginia where because ultimately if no. i if i no no, not based upon the facts that we have so far, because the basis that we file in Virginia is in REM, 
are you refiling against the thing itself? Um, and you and, and that's under something called the ACPA. The ACPA says you can file in rem when you can't find the other person. But in this case, you absolutely can find the other person. You know where they are. Just because they're in a place that you don't like doesn't get you past that element of the ACPA. Okay, sorry. So one are, are last you... question. Let me ask one last question. If let's just assume that I had sent this guy the contract and he had signed it. And in that contract, I had laid out that we, I wanted, I selected jurisdiction to be the Eastern district of Virginia. And he signs the contract and I have the contract. And neither of us have any reason to have jurisdiction there, but we've chosen jurisdiction in Virginia. Is that now valid? Yes. Ari, you're shaking your head. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting that, uh, you, the two parties can agree to uh, a place of jurisdiction that neither of them have any contacts with just by merely including it in the contract. Um, that's interesting. So, but what is your, what's your opinion? I, I, you can agree, you can agree to an area of jurisdiction. I think, I think that that, 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 that would work. That the party could be sued there for breach of contract. Uh, it raises interesting public policy issues, doesn't it? Um, yeah, Jason, if you, you know, if, you know, everybody wants, for example, let's just say that California is really, really a great place to uh, enforce a contract on domains, but I live in Philadelphia and the uh, other party lives in Panama and we could just choose California. I, I, I think the court might, the court could reject the case, not on jurisdiction grounds, but on venue, right? It could transfer itself. On its own, on its own, on this. Not if you put it into the contract. I mean, this is standard forum shopping. That's why we have so many bankruptcy cases down in Texas. Right. I mean, people do forum shopping all the time, and people negotiate jurisdiction and venue inside of contracts on a regular basis. All the parties agree; they all agree. Sort of the end uh, of the. Again, Andrew, you're talking about a situation where you're now already performing under the contract, not this situation signed where contract. there was breach. There was two side contracts. Correct. You're trying to enforce it. Yeah. Um, you know, getting to what the Sherpas are getting to, they're probably not going to be in that position, or very few. Yeah. yeah. We already have a contract that's been established, and now you're enforcing it in that yeah. way. But the other thing not to forget, and it's important for the Sherpas to remember, is all this is great. You could hire attorneys, file suit, win the case. What are your damages? And that's really the key. And if you get a monetary judgment against them, or you get specific performance, which is very difficult, but you can. Um, you have to enforce the judgment. So if you're enforcing a monetary judgment and they're somewhere far away and they don't have any contact with the United States or you, you have to enforce it and go to that jurisdiction and enforce the judgment against them. So that's another step in the process. You have to think about whether it's working. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, this is, this is really fascinating. And I think in particular, this gives us great insight for the Sherpa Network on how to set things up well. Drew, you set it up well. Now you have that difficult um, decision-making process of what to do about it. Um, we're going to move on to our focus topic on GDPR. Um, before we do, I'll tell you about our sponsors who support us in our educational mission. Finally, if you're a domain name investor, don't you have unique legal needs that require domain name technical know-how and industry experience? That's why you need Stephen Lieberman of Greenberg and Lieberman or Jason Schaefer of Esquire.com. Go search for Jason Schaefer or Stephen Lieberman on Domain Sherpa, watch their interviews, and you can see for yourself that they can clearly explain issues, can help you with buy-sell agreements, deal with website content issues and UDRP actions, and even help you write your website terms and conditions. Stephen Lieberman and Jason Schaefer are the lawyers to call for internet legal issues. See for yourself at Esquire.com or APlegal.com. Um, so now we're ready to discuss um, something that is um, going into effect May 30th that really um, a lot of people are concerned about and not sure quite how it will affect us. Um, so the Privacy and General Data Protection Regulation, GDPR, um, is... Um, it comes from the European Union and some of their privacy laws. Um, so, and, and then as we look at that, we also know domain theft has been on the rise um, and we're worried it might get worse with the GDPR repercussions. Um, so we wanna get in depth with our legal Sherpas today 
on how GDPR will impact investors, what investors can do to prevent theft, and what recourse they have if theft occurs. Um, uh, let's try to keep this pretty high level, um, especially because we don't know a lot of what's going to happen. But um, Jason, could you first just briefly summarize what GDPR is and um, what the biggest impact or concerns for domain investors you foresee from, from its rollout? Sure. Thanks, Tess. Um, GDPR, and it's actually good that we're doing this today. Today, as we're filming, Mark Zuckerberg is testifying before Congress on, on the Facebook privacy issues. So you know, what everybody has to remember with GDPR is in the domain where we're hearing about GDPR and its impact on who is. Um, GDPR is much broader than that. And it, it really, you know, the, the European Union put this together uh, to protect privacy rights of individuals. And the GDPR um, specifies that you, Andrew, and me, and our, everyone has a privacy right to privacy. And how that data, that personally identifiable data, is then used by a company. So Facebook is subject to GDPR in Europe, but not necessarily in the United States. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is in the domain Sherpa world is, wow, wait a second, ICANN now has a problem on its hand. Registries and registrars are both subject to the GDPR when they're doing business in Europe. And most of them do. So the so, who is database that in the past has been required to publicly show people's info, now in Europe, that's a problem. And right? right? And it's not just limited to that. So if I'm dealing with a European party, a person, an individual in Europe, and I take their information and I publicize it, I may be in violation of the GDPR. And that's a problem. So what I can and our community has been trying to deal with over the past two years is to figure out what do we do with respect to who is. Now, I can tell you safely that on May 25th, after May 25th, public access to who is and what we, as we know it, as domain investors is gonna change. It's, that's, we know that's gonna happen. Um, how we deal with that is really what's up in the air. Um, you know, there are some proposals that we're going to have a, a different way of recording uh, domain registrations and we'll have an accreditation system where certain parties will be allowed to get access. Some of the parties that should have access or want access would be law enforcement, um, you know, people looking policing for, for counterfeit goods and harm. Um, attorneys like us, we would hopefully have access as IP attorneys to do certain things. But the days of Drew and Ari and me and Steve and you getting online and typing in and just throwing out a who is query, that's probably gone. And I think as a domain investor, it's going to impact them in, in the sense of now you're not going to be able to get that access. Right now, domain investors are not really included in the potential groups that would have access. It's going to be very hard to articulate a legitimate purpose or interest for a domain investor, general domain investor, to have this access. Because remember, you, you have to balance the, it's not about the data, it's about the privacy right of the individual. Mm -hmm. So we have to come up with a new system to help address this and, and, and deal with this. So, so first of all, I think I just said May 30th. So just to be clear, it's May 25th is a day of implementation. And basically, who is, like, is this, I don't, um, not, not um, chicken little, but who is, is basically to the common user, who is, is dead on May 25th. Well, basically, I mean, you've got a lot of registries and registrars taking unilateral action and in, in, in not with, with ICANN not having yet come up with a proposal that works. Now they've been working on this and they have many interim plans, but nothing's been settled with the as to what would be effective and what will protect. Because what's really at issue here is these companies are subject to massive penalties. Um, somewhere I think up to 20 million euro or 4% or of your gross earnings. So you know, you're not going to take this lightly as, a, as an entity. Yeah. So you're not going to mess with and that's what's at stake. So a registry, like when you look at affiliates, I think last week, affiliates came out with a statement that they were only going to reveal a very light amount of information on registrations. Um, they since backtracked from what that, that proposal was, and I think in part it was because of Garin Marbury's uh, letter to the EU. ICANN, the CEO of ICANN, wrote to the EU asking for a reprieve. And basically what's on the table is that we're hoping that the EU says, ICANN and the registry registrar world will have a, a temporary reprieve from the GDPR mm -hmm. until we're able to figure out how to effectively deal with this issue. So 
Whether that happens, I highly doubt that's going to happen by May 25th, but it, I guess it could. So you're going to see you know, different companies handling it differently <clears throat> in the interim. At Moniker, we're actually we, we're planning on rolling out our changes for GDPR on the exact same day because if we implemented them prior to, we'd be in violation with current laws. And if we don't implement them on that day, then we'd be in violation of the GDPR. So it's sort of a strange acts that you almost no matter what going to be in violation of something. In, in this case, we're clearly going to be in violation of ICANN, who is, because they haven't changed that either. All I can think is, thank God I don't work at a registrar anymore because I would try to take May 25th off. Yeah. Um, sure. So I'm worried kind of for media options then as a broker, how are we going to be able to, you know, I mean, we've researched the hell out of people and who they bought, you know, what they buy, who they are. Um, I mean, I've, I've, I'll never forget the time I talked to a, a, a guy I was trying to buy a domain from and he told me his his daughter was having, his daughter who he was going to see that weekend was having her second baby. And I was like, to myself, I'm like, I know, because I already researched all of that about you. <laughs> well, Tess, you just said it. Think about that a second. If Yeah, that's creepy. That's right. That's pers That's private information that you were able to figure out from who is. So that's exactly what the law is going towards to saying, is it appropriate to have access to this? And how do we manage that? Because you know, you as a, as a company investigating someone, you know, there, there's balancing of factors here that you have to figure out. And the EU is coming down saying, they, again, they didn't draft this with the eye towards who is. This was not on yeah. their But it is about keeping people safe. And there are arguments um, within ICANN in the community, uh, non-commercial stakeholders group brought up a very important point in their comments yesterday or the day before about protecting the rights of uh, religious minorities. Or, or, or people who are oppressed, or people who have, or, you know, people who are buying domain names for political purposes, and um, they don't want that information getting out there because they're in danger. Maybe yeah, not necessarily the United States, but elsewhere, then that's a real issue. I, yeah. I, I think the problem yeah. is, is. Go ahead, Ari. The problem is that you know, although this is intended to protect the privacy of individuals, it actually has some negative impacts on individuals. Individuals who remain sellers want people to be able to contact them. And I'll give you another example. I, I, somebody runs a, a plumbing business and their domain name is you know, joesplumbing.com and they wake up one morning and they realize they're not getting any emails because somebody stole their domain name. And the person who owns the domain name wants to do a who is and they can't find out who has their domain name. Now they can ultimately go to, go to um, you know, the authorities and, and, and file an action or, or do whatever they need to do and maybe ultimately get access to the domain name. But in the meantime, you know, Mrs. McGillicuddy had her toilet plunged, right? So, yeah. so it's, there's, yeah, a lot of, mean, there's a lot of problems. For, it's from also our, issue for us at escrow, same thing, yeah. that we want to know who, you know, are, who, who are we dealing with? And we have requirements yeah. to know who we're dealing with in the process. And it's almost impossible to check without the who is, at least initially. So there's going to be a real impact on due diligence and domain security. Um, now, I mean, in general, we've seen a trend that domain theft is on the rise. Um, do you see, do you think that's going to, um, to increase because of this? So let me just comment. So a big part of, of our job is um, on both sides, whether we're selling or buying. But a lot of, a lot of our business is getting hired by companies uh, or individuals that want us to help them acquire a domain name. And in many cases, it's because the owner is hard to find. Maybe it's a bad email, a bad phone number, bad who is information. Maybe it's under privacy. And the only way that we're able to do our job is by doing who is research, historical who is records. And then uh, on the sell side or on the buy side, uh, a big part of what we're trying to do, uh, uh, you know, as our value add to a transaction is due diligence. It's understanding that the chain of custody for a domain name, understanding that we are negotiating with and dealing with the proper owner of a domain name and uh, verifying that once a domain transfers that it's transferred to the right party, uh, as Stephen was alluding to from, from the escrow standpoint um, and, and the responsibility of, uh, of an escrow agent to, you know, verify uh, who they're dealing with and the, the proper parties are, are, are you know, sending and receiving the, the, the goods or service. And 
um, this will, for all intents and purposes, eliminate our ability to do any of that. And so I'm very concerned about what that will mean for our business, um, as well as, you know, the ability of our, you know, uh, the ability for mm -hmm. us to verify that we are acquiring a domain name from the bona fide owner uh, and that the chain of custody right. is clean and clear. You know, we have the requirement as attorneys to know our clients. And what this is basically going to do is going to force us to ask for more information from people to get them to prove who they are and show their ownership through other means, for instance, renewals of the domain names, things of that sort, and or signing separate contracts to allow us access to the underlying who is information to speak directly to the registrar, things of that sort. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think Tess, you said it don't, we don't really chicken little. I think you, you mentioned that, uh, you know, the, the world isn't going to end on May 25th. We will be able to figure out how to deal with this. It just won't be the same way as you've done it for the past 10 years. Um, and and right. that's it. we're going to be in a new world. We have to balance these equities of what's happening and there'll be other solutions to, to the issues. Um, you know, but when, you know, you'll have to articulate a legitimate interest for that data and how you're going to use it. Right, Drew. So, yes, I don't think you're going to be able to do the same type of, you know, at midnight, just type in a query and figure it out and just do a reverse who is look up like you used to. No, but you will have that abilities. We'll have to roll them out over the next six months to a year. And that's what I can struggling with is how to do that. But there'll be a, we will come up with solutions. We always do. And, and it'll just be a different way of dealing with it. So you'll have to use, you know, different methods. One thing that I think is, is interesting, uh, you know, that'll be a positive impact in, 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 on somebody is marketplaces. I think that when people have lost the ability to look up the owner of a domain name and contact them directly, they will now be left with no other choice than to come through a marketplace such as an Afternic or a Sado uh, where, uh, you know, they can get access to a domain owner. Um, and so that probably is going to be a, a sort of undesired, uh, well, depends on which side of the fence you're on, but it'll be an un, uh, you know, a, uh, what's the word? Unintended consequence. Unintended consequence. Well, yeah, I, yeah, I think that registries are going to have a lot more power now as well. A lot of, if a person can't do a who is, they're going to, they're going to contact GoDaddy. And then GoDaddy has the information to contact that person. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering whether or not, you know, registrars might see this as a boon and, and are not necessarily. Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. So, so, so and these are, and, and the registries have a lot of influence and I can. Sure. Look, so, you know, sure. the issue though is just how you deal with it. As a, let's just take the registry example. As a registry, GoDaddy, registrar. 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 As a registrar. Um, you need to now manage that data in a responsible manner. And, you know, how you handle that is going to dictate whether or not a, you know, a DPA or anybody in Europe is going to say you're in violation. Um, but, you know, with this comes a lot of opportunity and we're just moving into a new phase of, of, of the industry. Um, but yeah, there are big changes and, and it's going to, going to change things. So getting back to Tess's question, I think you were asking uh, domain theft, right? And, and how this impacts domain theft. Well, obviously, if you can't identify who has the domain name, who has ownership, it really curtails your ability to do that. But in this case, an attorney would be able to do it, right? You would be able to say, I am now filing an action. I'm able to taking steps. I'm going to be able to have access for this specific purpose. It might actually make it a little bit easier from our point of view doing domain theft cases because by definition, we won't be able to know who the uh, person is that has the domain anymore. So we will fall under the ACPA no matter what. Right. Oh, that's Actually, neat. Actually, actions, huh? What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. So, in, um, oh, go in ahead. In contrast, though, um, it may, you know, the, the, it, it's interesting. We're going to see how the cards fall. But it may make domain theft more difficult because if you don't, the, the way that most of these domain thefts happen is by email uh, 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 hijacking, right? Correct. And so if you don't know what the email is on the domain name, how do you go about hijacking that email and, 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 and Good point. control of an account or, or domain itself? So, um, so, 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 so,
after May 25th, when Whois goes dark, update, change your email address on all domain names, and nobody's going to be able to steal them because they won't be able to find out what the domain is, right? So if the historical email is no longer the, the, the current email, nobody will be able to know who the administrative email address on that account is, That's and nobody will be able to steal it or access it or anything. That's uh, brilliant. I'm knocking on wood because I, I don't want to underestimate the hackers and yeah, true. out there. I mean... And if you want to sell your domains, you better keep that old thing email well, active or no, no, put a no. site Number up. two is exactly, you need to put up a site. You need to put up a landing page or you need to have something on the landing page that gives people the owner to access you. Because otherwise, you are going to be beholden to a Sado and an Afternic, uh, and and your registrar. Because really, marketplaces and registrars will be the only access point that people will have to, to, to get to a domain owner. Now, luckily, like, we've been in business long enough and we've inquired on so many domains that we have a database of our own of domain ownership um, going back, you know, on, on virtually every valuable domain name out there, right? So we will still have some gateway and access to owners, but it will become, over time, it will become stale unless, you know, a new system is developed. You know, ultimately, I think we need a proxy system. I think we just need a, you know, some form of proxy system whereby, like a domains by proxy, where you know I can't publicly see your information, but I can still get to you directly. If 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 right, yeah, 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 that's going to happen. There's going to be ways to reach the domain okay. owner. Okay, it's, it's not you know you're not going to suddenly be in this black box where no one's ever going to be able to communicate again. But it, you may not be able to see who they are, where they live, or who, you know, make that personal connection to who they are. Um, but yes, there are talks about how to do it. We're, 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 I think the most popular method that probably will take place is you're gonna have gatekeepers, right? Well, you'll yeah. have accreditation processes where you'll be accredited to get access to information. But that's not, the, that's not the, the easiest answer either because as the accredited provider to get access, you're still gonna be liable for GDPR violations. So, you better watch out. You're going to go take that info. You better keep that. You know, you're going to have to keep that private yourself. You don't want to open yourself up to liability. So yeah, just keep it it's, it's, it's not a bad thing. It's, a, it's actually a good thing. Wait, wait. Yeah. I like it's that. Not it's not yeah. a bad thing. Right. We're just yeah. moving into a new era and we have to deal with it as a, as a, as a, as a community. We have to figure out ways forward and we're doing it and, and when things will change. But I think for the people watching today that really haven't followed it closely, um, they need to know that things things are going to change dramatically in the near term, and you'll just have to get through it over the next six months to a year. Yeah. Okay. I have a story, um, a, a comment, and then let's wrap. Um, my story, you know, domains by proxy, which is um, GoDaddy's privacy option, actually was created because a woman who was a victim of domestic violence reached out to GoDaddy, wound up, I believe, speaking directly with Bob Parsons, and they recognized that there was a real problem that she was required to have valid info, but someone was using that info to hurt her, and there, or potentially, and there was no legal recourse for her. And so the GoDaddy attorneys, they cared enough about this woman in this situation and realized, of course, that it would be larger than this one circumstance. And that's why they created Domains by Proxy. And I know over the years, there have been some um, talk about, um, they feel like that, I don't even know legal words, patentable, trademarkable, that they're the ones who created that, the idea of being a proxy on someone else's behalf. So this is just going to, I don't want to get into a conversation about that, but I think it's interesting trivia and going to be interesting to see how everything else rolls out. Um, just as, as a comment overall, um, I think it's crazy that there can be some new law and all of a sudden on May 25th, like, good luck. We don't, we don't have a plan yet, but we keep working, you know, as an industry and everyone. Welcome, welcome to globalization. Right. Yeah, right. I, I think it's Seriously. unfortunate. Yeah, but it's unfortunate so, that the e, you know the, the decisions that are made you know in the EU in this particular case are affecting U.S. and other international domain name owners. Yep. And yeah. uh, I think that maybe the, the registrars are going to have to get a little bit more creative to protect the U.S. owners without violating the European laws, and that might be a, that might be 
Nope. It would be a marketable thing for, for a registrar to be that registrar. Every country, not they're, just the U.S. But they're, yeah, they're, yeah, not, yeah. They're, not, they're not interested. It's exactly what we alluded to before. This is in the best interest of the registrars. This is going right. to be a huge boon. They are now going to be able to charge 15% or 20% or whatever it is. Go down, he charges now. On every domain that anybody wants to acquire, a very high portion of those are going to have to come in through the GoDaddy Buy service or Sato Marketplace. And again, the marketplace is, you know, it's only as good as people who have listed their names there. Um, so I, I think this is a boon to registrars in an unintended way that if they haven't realized yet, they, they quickly will. And I don't think they're going to be motivated to fight this at all. I think that they're going to encourage it. Well, I think we're a smart and resourceful industry, and I'm fascinated to see what, what does develop. Um, so um, thanks, guys. I think we're getting towards the end of today's show. Um, I'd like to give uh, the Sherpas an opportunity to share anything they have going on in their lives, personal or professional, uh, brokering, selling opportunities. I don't know if you guys do as much of that. Um, anyone you want to give a shout out to? Um, Steven, shout outs? Anything sure. that's going on? I got lots of shout outs, actually. Um, obviously, APlegal.com is Greenberg and Lieberman's main website. We do lots of domain theft cases. Go take a look at domaintheft.com. A few of those things are up there. Um, we run an escrow service, escrowdomains.com or escrow.domains. And we've just rolled out a new trademark search at uh, wileyfish.com. So... Take a look at that, that's a free search and it's gonna include common law search as well, which is coming up very shortly, as well as image search for trademarks and online on the internet. So that's just a couple of things going on. That's amazing, amazing, Stephen. Okay, thank you very much. Um, uh, Jason, Ari, I don't know if you wanna to go together or separate. Well, one of the things that we're excited about is our show Name Summit coming up this August, which you guys are a part of. And I hear there's talks to actually have a Domain Sherpa taping at the event, possibly. We don't know. Maybe that'll happen. But, um, you know, we wanted to do something special for the, the Sherpas out there and give a special discount code for the New York event. Um, you know, we've just, I'm going to be announcing our agenda shortly. And we have uh, about 30 speakers right now lined up um, covering everything from SEO to search to influencer branding to... Um, you know, registries and registrar talks about new new TLDs, value of a domain name. Really, the focus is is talking about what you do with your domain names and how you launch a business online and, and make it successful. And uh, building on the on the conference from last year, we really um, amped it up. As you may know, we're doing the pitch fest. So anybody who has an idea, a concept, can go to um, namesummit.com and, and and sign up for Pitch Fest Global. And winner of Pitch Fest Global is going to get six months of coaching from our influencer branders, which is wow. tremendously valuable. They're going to get support from us, support from um, NamesCon, some support from you guys at, at Domain Sherpa. The winner is going to be able to talk and talk about what they're doing over the six-month period. And they get to come back uh, next year at NamesCon and speak to the audience there. So the winner of the event, I think, really is going to get a major marketing boost. And that's the goal of why we built this. So for all the, the Sherpas out there that haven't signed up yet, um, we're going to offer, uh, right now, we're going to offer the first 10 that sign up. They use the code domain Sherpa, and they'll get a 50% off of, of the ticket price, which just went up. So it's, uh, it's a great value for, for your, your, your audience. That's awesome. awesome. Thanks. Thanks. I was at the inaugural Name Summit last year in, uh, in Manhattan. It was super, super informative. Um, and so it's early August, what, August 7th? August 6th and 7th, so it's a Monday and Tuesday of August, and um, we're probably going to try to set up something special for our domain industry friends that fly in and maybe do something Sunday night, a little small event for, for our community. Um, but at, as you know, Tess, from the event, you know, it, it goes way beyond the domain industry. It's really pulling in from digital agencies and, and entrepreneurial people and, and, and all throughout New York, and it's, uh, it's a nice event. Yeah, I think it's fabulous, and I, I like that setup that it really brings in um, a lot of different perspectives, and it gives us an opportunity to reach out to, um, to yeah. our larger ecosystem. Um, right. Thanks, Jason. Uh, Ari, how about you? Um, basically, uh, we are we have got a couple things in the pipeline. We are uh, updating our Esquire site. It's a, it's a little due. Uh, we've done Just a little bit. 
we've been developing some other websites you know, over the past couple of years and kind of haven't focused on that. It's a little stale, so we have that coming up uh, in, the next, uh, in the next several weeks, and we're also rolling out a couple other websites dealing with uh, trademark law and also UDRP. And uh, we'll have more to talk about that once we uh, get that unwrapped. Okay. Thanks, thanks a lot, guys. This was a, this was a lot of fun. It was fun. Yeah. Looking forward. I thanks think so too. Andrew. And I just I just want to say thank you to all of you guys. Uh, I'm really really excited from from the minute that we acquired Domain Sherpa from Michael Seiger, uh, and, and and the balls you know started the wheels started turning in my head about what what are we going to do with this thing? We got a tiger by the tail, you know. Having um, this legal perspective was like idea number one. I think that it's one of the most underrepresented aspects of sort of industry discussion. I mean, we have great, phenomenal attorneys chiming in on some of the blogs sometimes and once in a while, you know, coming on as, as, a, as a guest on, on various formats. But I think having a consistent panel of, of, of great attorneys to discuss relevant issues, timely issues, insights, uh, I, I think it's just so invaluable and it, it just escalates the conversation. It helps educate everybody. The more educated everybody in the space is, the less stupid mistakes they make, which means the less money they lose, more money they can spend on better domains and everybody, you know, it just, it just makes the pie bigger, makes everybody smarter and better. So I'm excited. I really am. I think this is going to be a phenomenal episode. I think, um, you know, this is going to be a great uh, 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 segment or series. And so I'm really excited to continue this with you guys. And I want to say, you know, big thank you for, for coming on the show. Thank you. We appreciate it. Here, here. Nice. Yeah, this was nice. fabulous. Nice. I think nice. super informative. And I think I really hope that our Sherpa Network gets a ton out of it. Um, and no I mean, it's, it's not often you can spend this much time with three attorneys and uh, walk away with your pockets yeah. still full. Don't forget, to buy these guys, <laughs> don't forget to buy these guys a cup of coffee when you uh, see them at uh, you know, one of the shows. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm sending them a, a, a cup. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, here, here, Jason. <laughs> Jason and, uh, and Stephen were on the show before. Um, so um, I know I'll have a link to that when we post as well. Um, so and to our Sherpa Network, let's just say goodbye. Um, if you receive benefit from today's show, please post a comment below. Thank today's Sherpas. Um, Remember, you can submit, if you have a question that you'd like um, for the uh, investor submitted question uh, segment, please uh, submit that to us. Um, and thank you to, um, to each one of you Sherpas for joining us, to uh, Jason Schaefer, um, Ari Goldberger, and, um, and Stephen Lieberman. And thank you, Drew, for being here as well. Um, we'll see you all next time. Ciao. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.